Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Simeon and Anna are two of my favorite characters in scripture, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I just think that they're so, like, they're so present in the world around them. They just, like, get such a strong sense of where God is and who people are. And in the first interaction that they have with Mary and Joseph, it's like they immediately sense the importance of that meeting. And their whole world shifts. You know, Simeon, who's guided almost entirely by the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, it's repeated multiple times. The Spirit led him, the Spirit told him, the Spirit showed him. And it's something that just constantly is is illuminating a path for Simeon. And he just, there's something about that embodied faith that is just so amazing to me. Because it's so rare these days to have every interaction in the world to be guided by the Holy Spirit. It just seems like such a difficult thing to, at least for me, to wrap my head around. You know, so many of our interactions are layered with nuance and power and structures and systems and um, with a weight of past history and all these things that make any interaction that we have with other people just come with so much baggage and so much expectation. But for some reason, when Simeon and Anna see Joseph and Mary, like, you know, it's not just some other couple. They don't put on onto this young couple all of their assumptions about, you know, teenage, uh, teenage unwed pregnancy or any of that. They just immediately leap for joy and begin repeating a theme that will, that will travel all the way through the Gospel of Luke about the absolute turning over of society, where those who have significant power will lose it, and those who have been pushed to the margins will gain it. And not only will they gain power, but it will be a sort of divine empowerment uh, that tears down the lofty and lifts up the lowly so that there might be genuine and true equality among all people. You know, that's something that Mary, sang about in the presence of her, her relative, Elizabeth. She sang about how the lofty would be torn down from their high places and the lowly would be lifted up and that this child that she was going to bear into the world would be a blessing to all of the world, which is why that song, Mary Did You Know, is so ironic because she literally was the one who sang the song the first time, that the world would be overturned because of her uh, because of her child. Of course she knew what would come. And so this beautiful song that Mary sang in the first chapter of Luke gets repeated, at least thematically, by Simeon. He sees Mary, he sees the child Jesus, and he immediately breaks out and starts speaking of the promise of God. First he says, you can let me die and I'll, be, I'll die in peace and that'll be okay. But then he speaks to Mary and says, you know, this child will be the cause of the falling and the rising of many in Israel and beyond. But what's different about between, what's different about Simeon's uh, 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 statement to Mary 
and what Mary actually said in the first chapter is Simeon also indicates the pain that will come for Mary because of her love and devotion to the child that she's just born into the world. He says this child will be uh, a sword pierced in your soul as well. And that just brings in a whole bunch of other stuff. What does it mean for a child to pierce the soul of Mary? And what does it mean about the suffering that we as human beings experience anyway? That Simeon could foresee this suffering in Mary's life. Does that mean that it was something preordained, predestined to happen? That it was in some way the will of God for Mary to go through this experience of suffering? I don't, I don't think so. I think it speaks to something a little bit more intangible. But I think that we as Christians, as people of faith, when we're going through hard times, it's really easy to speak those kinds of platitudes, right? When you're going through something hard, it's really easy just to be like, okay, well, this must just be the will of God. And that's something that's existed for a long time. It's not anything that you've done wrong or anything that anyone has done wrong. It's just something that's been handed to us over and over again because we tell these stories poorly. We tell it in a way that's like, you know, Simeon's telling Mary, you're going to suffer, but that's part of the will of God too. This child's going to be the, the cause of the rising and falling of many, and you'll also experience torment. And that that's just all sort of wrapped up in the will of God, but that's not actually true. That's not the case. It's the same thing, like, you know, people, for some reason, translate this all the way through scripture, and they'll look at, like, the story of... Uh, uh, you know, a mythic first couple in the garden, and they'll say like, oh, it must have been God's will that uh, Eve and Adam would, would eat the, the fruit of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and because there was this redemption story that had to take place, so therefore God must have placed them in this place, that God must have known that they would uh, choose to do the wrong thing, so that the arc of history could culminate in the presence of Jesus and the presence of Christ. But that certainly isn't how the story is written. That's just how we, how we read it, which is a, a different kind of thing. So I think it's important, and the reason I'm going all the way back to Eve and Adam, I understand that's a long way. The Gospel of Luke and the, the, the book of Acts that follows it is a story that's trying to make sense of this arc of human history that has been bent towards destruction for so long. It's, it's a narrative that, that the author of Luke and Acts is trying to make sense of. Why is it that when we try to do the right thing, we always end up doing the wrong thing? And why is it that when, uh, when, when, we start to, when we start to actually gain power and trust in God and everything seems to be going right, what is it that makes this, this impulse towards destruction grow within us? What is it that makes us live in competition with one another and want the worst for people around us? What is it that, 
that drives that impulse to be better than the people around us rather than equal with them. Why, why is that? And so the author of Luke and Acts is trying to make sense of this really complicated human history, which is why I think it's so interesting that Simeon is the first to encounter Jesus and the first to acknowledge who this Jesus uh, child is. Because Simeon doesn't carry that baggage. Simeon carries a hope, but a realistic hope, that if the marginalized are truly growing to be placed in the center of society and in culture, and those who are at the top of the social hierarchy are going to be torn down from it, there will be significant pain that we experience. That's not because pain is the will of God, it's because when you upend social structures that are built on power over others, they lash out. And we have seen that in this last year. We have seen that. Another story was written just this past week about how um, uh, counter-protesters in Atlanta were aiming loaded weapons at people in our own city of Atlanta simply because people are advocating for their political, uh, their political leadership and especially advocating for an end to suffering and end to marginalization and to violence. And what happens is more violence got brought. Simeon is a hopeful realist, which is something that I think all of us could learn from. How do we seek justice? How do we upend society? How do we challenge the status quo so that we can follow Christ earnestly and truly and live into the vision that God has for the world that is amended, that is whole, that is good, even while we experience suffering along the way? And he doesn't offer an answer to that question. He just names it as a reality that we will experience. And it can sound an awful lot like bad news. But I think it, it is, in fact, good news. I think there's hope in that statement. It's not the will of God for harm to fall on anyone. That's not. It's a constant reality with us that we will experience hardship. But even more than that, that God will be with us through our hardship and that God's presence is at work within us, redeeming the world and redeeming us through the worst moments that we experience. And it's entirely based, entirely based on our trust and reliance on the Spirit of God, which is what Simeon has placed at the pinnacle of his life of faith. It's beautiful. And then Anna's story is similar in its, its beauty to me. Anna, you know, uh, it's always the thing that happens every Easter is um, everybody talks about how Mary was the first evangelist that uh, the world saw. She, if it weren't for women, there would, be, there would be no church. And that's totally true. But the problem is, Mary was not the first to do that. Anna was the first 
to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. She was the first to indicate the presence of God to the world around her. An 84-year-old 80, widow living in and around the temple where she held no power as a woman in the first century. She saw the child Jesus, she leapt for joy, and she immediately began circulating the story that the presence of God had come in this child Jesus carried by Mary and Joseph. The first evangelist uh, in, in the New Testament is in the second chapter of Luke, not in the very end of the book. It's the very second chapter of Luke, and it is Anna going around the city of Jerusalem, sharing the good news that the redemption of the world had come, and it had come through the peasant family, the nomadic family, the, uh, the teenage, uh, teenage mother's child, Jesus. It's amazing. And it, that's the first illustration of the world turned upside down that Simeon had talked about. Women in the first century don't share the good news. They don't hold temple authority. But in the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, the very first person to teach, to show, to illumine where God was at work most was Anna, the 84-year-old widow, marginalized by age, by marriage status, and by gender. She was the one to point towards the hope coming into the world. Second chapter, we already see that God is turning over all of our customs, turning over all of our norms, and it will feel hard for those of us who hold power. It will feel hard for this, those of us who don't hold power because there is a tension that comes when the world begins to shift. And we're a part of that now. Looking into 2021, we're looking into an opportunity to reshape the way that we even think about church. What does it mean to be a faithful follower of Christ? And we get to answer that question for the first time in earnest together as we look to uh, a vaccine being broadly distributed and we look to the needs of our community. What needs to be turned up in our own structures so that God's presence could be known among us? That's an earnest question and I hope that you will join me and learning to, to and searching for an answer to it, because uh, it will be a process, but we will be in that process together. And I'm grateful to be able to do it with you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.